Hey, everybody. Welcome to HMH's Future of Transportation podcast. My name is John Halpin. And on this show, I'm going to host a regular series of chats with experts in the transportation industry. Uh, joining me today, I've got access to the boss. He's the transportation marketing expert. I figured, you know, why not invite him on, right? This is HMH president, Ed Herrings. HMH is focusing its efforts on the transportation industry. And we wanted to talk to Ed about what he and the agency see in this space. Ed, thanks a lot for joining me. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this chat. So so let's get started with what HMH is doing. Why did we decide to focus on the future of transportation? You know, uh, John, to answer that question, I have to rewind the clock about, you know, maybe 30 months or so and uh, share a quick story with you. Um, I had a friend of mine some years back uh, offer a thought to me. Uh, which at the time I just it just grabbed grabbed hold in my mind and kind of stuck there. And he said, he said to me, uh, he said, Ed, he said, you know how to run a growing business? And I, I kind of laugh. I go, no, no, Mike, how do you, how do you run a growing business? And he said, sell into a growing market. And it just stuck with me as one of those kind of simple, pragmatic ideas that's that's wiser than the number of words it takes to make that sentence up if you want to run a growing business sell under growing market and i began to think you know what markets are growing and future transportation or i started to watch this transportation sector of all and i started to watch the rise of electric and autonomous and connected vehicles the development of policy formation the anticipation and increases of uh, in funding with uh, infrastructure. And I started to, to really look at the rise of this idea of trans, you know, just all this change happening in the category of transportation as a category that's just going to experience natural lift, this idea of natural lift. And then I began to reflect a little bit on, you know, what are we good at at HMH? And I, I thought, you know, we have over two decades of experience working with national and global brands, many of whom are on the forefront of leading this transformative change that's sweeping through the transportation industry. And so I thought, man, if there's ever a time where preparedness meets opportunity, we, you know, HMH is just sitting right at that intersection. And and I was at a, in our conference room in Portland. I wrote up on a whiteboard. I just wrote up future of transportation. And it was like, for whatever reason, those few words captured my imagination. I thought, that's it. This is the distillation of this, this concept where there's a growing market that we're really good at, we're passionate about it. I have watched us produce remarkable work in this category for many leading brands. And um, and I think, you know, John, what just occurred to me is this is just a tremendously exciting opportunity to be a part of something that's going through this transformative change and innovation just sweeping through so many categories. When I think of transportation, John, I think of it really big. I think of everything from agriculture to energy generation and distribution to connected 
uh, ecosystems. So you think of the, the rise of 5G and the ability of everything to talk to everything. You think of uh, policy formation. I mean, if we're at a point where autonomous vehicles are in the not distant future, how many of us will need to own a car? What's the concept of, of car ownership mean? Then you go to micro mobility is another example. Uh, you think of the, you know, the rise of rail and even air transport. Now there's there's electric, uh, you know, air taxis that are being pioneered. Just a month or two back, the FAA opened up a segment of airspace at about 400 feet to rail and agricultural industries to allow unmanned autonomous drones to be able to do uh, either track, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, track maintenance, you know, viewing to see if there's any obstructions in a track or even for farmers to measure the irrigation level of their crops that are in the field at a given time. So there's just this transformative change sweeping through and um, it's so fun to be a part of a, of a category that's going through this transformative change. And, and I'll end with this last thought, John, I'm giving you a long answer to your question. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. You know, um, when's the last time we saw a change of this magnitude sweep through industry? And the two examples that occurred to me, one was kind of the rise of the internet and how that just fundamentally changed how we all access communication or access information and how we engage with one another and frankly, how commerce happens. And then the second one was, was this, John, just the rise of a smartphone and how we can now carry around such incredible power in our pocket, the ability to access information, communicate to one another, both the internet and the smartphone fundamentally rewrote how we all relate to one another. And I think that the changes sweeping through the category of transportation are, are going to do the same. I think it will. I think 10 years from now, we're going to think very, very differently about how we get from point A to point B and how goods and services move and how we access those services. So it's just, it's just a tremendously exciting opportunity. And, uh, it would be maybe more daunting if we weren't already in the space, but the fact is we're working with uh, original equipment manufacturers right now in the space in the in the areas of electric and autonomous and automated and advanced safety systems. And so uh, we speak the language already. So it just feels like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes. This is already something we're new at and to the uninitiated is a really steep learning curve, but to uh, our team HMH, because we've been, swimming in the stream for quite a while. It's an easy idea to think about scaling. So, you know, so we call this the future of transportation podcast. And my next question for you is going to be about how that's a big phrase, you know, and, but you just kind of said it, it's a big, I mean, you said sell into a growing industry. Wow. It seems simple, but it's a, it, the, the growth is just all over the place. The tentacles that this has just go everywhere. Yeah. And it's, um, the every new emerging market is always messy. Um, you, you can always tell when a market kind of uh, matures because it commoditizes and then standards are pretty well established in place and pretty soon it's a pricing battle for market share and sometimes, you know, lowest price wins. That's not the case right now. It's it's every new market that forms starts off messy. There's going to be a period of kind of first movers 
and some of those first movers are going to get, you know, uh, a knock on the chin, and then there's going to be some fast followers who will get it right. Um, and so there are so many areas where the where technology is going to enable new ways to solve transportation challenges or problems or meet needs, and and it's busting out all over the place. You're right, John. It's not. And so I think of, I mean, the obvious ones that we sometimes hear about, right, like parcel delivery. And, uh, but, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the use in agriculture to map uh, water levels in fields to be able to optimize irrigation um, and think about, you know, the use in rail to be able to, you know, map uh, track conditions to make sure that, that there's no, uh, you know, issues that would impede or create a safety issue for rail travel. Um, I even think of the idea of, of being able to have an app on my phone that would optimize my route of transit home at the end of a workday, choosing from a constellation of different mobility options and based on utilization and volume and price, recommend that I take this train from here to there, this mode of micro mobility from here to there, you know, order a last mile car if I needed it for that. And it would it might be able to optimize in real time what the what the best way is to move something from point A to point B. So I, I mean I kind of think there's a future that's even beyond some of the things I'm talking about now where this ecosystem works together and talks to one another and can update us real time on an optimized way to, to move and, and travel. Okay, so to back up a bit, HMH has been in this business for a while doing transportation with transportation clients. When, let's go back 20 years, maybe 25, before the internet. And we are, you know, we've got trucks and we're doing brochures and print ads and stuff like that. I mean, the the, the amount of the, the number of media options was not so great, and the number of you know various mobility options was not so great. Do the fundamentals of the marketing stay the same? What, well, let's say what's the same and what's different. You know, um, so here's what's the same, and the same is. Um, is, is, is kind of part of the human condition. Um, as humans, we're innately curious and we have an interest to find answers to, to questions. Um, and so we have a need and we, we have to go find a way to satisfy that need. <clears throat> that is pretty timeless, John. What has changed is the multiplicity of places we can go to look for those answers. Right. Um, the human need to know or to understand or to be able to reason or rationalize is, is kind of timeless, where that's kind of baked into us. But where we go in search of that information has changed. And so when I think about HMH's role in helping to support brands who are creating the future transportation, I think what we bring to those uh, pioneers is this ability to develop 
what I think of as almost an uncommon understanding of their customers. What is the user experience that they desire, even if they can't fully articulate it yet? And what's the design strategy that we might imagine or enable in order for that person to have their need met in such a way it almost seems intuitive? So even though we're in the communication business, and, I, and, and that is oftentimes our, our craft and trade, the idea of being able to design an optimum experience for one of our client's customers and then map a solution or set of solutions to that is, is super exciting. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is help our clients educate or inform or persuade audiences that they want to have a relationship with. And one of the things I know we're really good at at HMH is digging deep into that, uh, either the influencer or the end user's needs at that point in time, and then reverse engineering uh, ways to connect with them and ways to engage with them. At the end of the day, we always exist to help our clients achieve their business plans and goals. A lot of that is how can we optimize any kind of given marketing spend to be able to achieve their outcomes. So there's always kind of a, a calculus around this for an ROI. I make it sound like everything is, you know, dreamland and hey, let's just pick one of these and three of those. In fact, what you're doing is you're looking at this portfolio of options and then you're trying to optimize against it and trying to create ways to reduce friction between satisfying, you know, what a customer needs and what a brand's ability is to be able to solve that. And I have seen us do that time and again. I just think we're amazingly good at it. And it's fun to, what's really fun, John, is when you crack a problem and you watch it influence behaviors. Not just when it, the outcome is a transaction, but when it begins to shape how people think or relate to a brand, because those are deeper. Transactions could be just simply that transactional, one, one and done. What we're looking to do is create longer-term, sustained behavioral change and opinions about how people want to relate to brands and, and work with our clients to, to realize the best possible outcomes around that. So you use the word educate in there. And I'm going to go back to the, to the comparison of you know, the truck and the engine that we had before. And now... It, it's hard. There are so many things. I mean, this applies to, you know, the, the amount of streaming television options you have, the amount of transportation options you have, whatever else. There's just a lot going on. There's a, there's it, it's hard. I don't want it break through the clutter is such a cliche. But, you know, not only do you have to break through a lot more clutter, but you have a message now that, you know, you, you have to make people understand, hey, if you buy an electric car, you know, how, you're not just going to the gas station. There's a lot more education now because all these things are so new to people. How, how challenging is that for for the, you know the agency and the client to 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 you know get their messages across in a simple but understandable way? So I, I have what may be a disarmingly simple answer to that question, John, and and it and it follows this principle of reductionism. And what I mean by that is, I would rather connect in a compelling um, way with 1% of the audience than in a general way with 99% of the audience. And 
the art of reductionism is removing complexity to focus on the critical few, to borrow kind of another well-used business phrase. But there's, there's this idea of the kind of the law of sacrifice. You have to be willing to give some things up. And it's frankly almost exhausting anymore to think about how do we create a large enough net? So if I think of a net like catching our target, right? Whether it's educating them or persuading or what have you. It's daunting to catch, to cast a wide enough net to catch everybody. That's not our goal, I believe. I believe we need to reduce, 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 and focus. Mm -hmm. And when we can do that and do few things well, we have a better chance to put metrics around it and to learn through uh, trial and then to optimize the spend. So I think the way is to almost get more focused, more narrow, and more surgical with a, an approach to market and then optimize around that. I'm a huge fan of test and learn. I've, John, I've just been at this too many years. I've had, enough, I've had too many clients that want to throw a big, a big budget at something and it's kind of the say, uh, you know, the say and spray kind of an idea. Just, just say it loud enough. And I have some clients that I call the five-finger jab. If you don't come by for me today, I can't save you any money. You know, they want to do the five-finger jab sell. And then they would just want to spray it all over the place to hope somebody catches it. I think those days are long gone. I think anymore today, we just need to be a lot more focused and a lot more narrow cast and way more intentional with our dollars. And frankly, we have a lot of technology sets that allow us to do that in mm -hmm. ways different and better than we could before. So that's definitely helping things. But... I've been a part of too many conversations about setting up an analytics construct at the onset of a campaign to know that it, without hardly any effort, your eyes can glaze over because there are so many different channels to market. And usually to me, that's a symptom of we're, uh, we're overreaching. You know, we need mm -hmm. to narrow the focus. So at HMH, I believe for a long time, um, Another phrase used in our industry often, but I'm a big fan of it, is this idea of being media agnostic. Mm -hmm. I don't have a preferred channel. I don't have a preferred means of engaging folks. If we understand our client's customer, if we know what their purchase journey looks like, if we know what their cognitive needs are during the purchase journey and what their behavioral uh, sentiment is, we can map messaging that gives them all the information they need that meets them at the right place emotionally and allows them to make an informed decision. And that's where I think that, you know, uh, pay dirt can happen. Okay. So uh, what company, I mean, you, you mentioned you went back 30 months and you talked about this friend of yours. Now that was sort of a, a general conversation about industries. Is there a, a product or a company in the transportation industry that made you that you saw something that made you go, wow, this now like it made you get it more like I always say Tesla is the obvious one for everybody because they're so big and popular right now. But but is, is there one that that kind of jumped out of you? You know, um, it's probably a series of impressions, but I'll tell you one that sticks with me. It was a couple of years ago now. So we're in 2021, we've been 2019 before the pandemic hit. And I was at the North American Commercial Vehicle Show in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was walking the show, looking at a lot of the innovation that's uh, coming about. And there was a display <coughs> with a Sprinter van 
And the Sprinter van had a, a cartridge that could load into the back of the van. And the cartridge was filled with electric drones. And the van was autonomous and it could pilot itself down a street and the, the roof of the van opened up. And as the van neared an address, the drone would cycle up. It was like almost like cartridges loading the next drone and it'd grab a package. And they were taking off from the top of this Sprinter van and going out and depositing the packages, the parcels like on doorsteps, and then autopiloting back into the van, landing back in the carousel, and then rotating back through to pick up the next package. So here you have an autonomous vehicle distributing parcels autonomously. Um, and it just, I mean, I look at that, and it just caught my imagination about being able to have a connected ecosystem where that can all be done safely and efficiently. And it was frankly just a cool factor to it. It's like, man, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's like George Jetson, you know, kind of cool <laughs> uh, there to, to age myself a little bit. I'm with uh, you. Don't worry. Yeah. But that was a fun one. So, you know, I saw that. And of course I've seen there's a, there's an electric motorcycle brand that's, you know, an early stage car called fuel, uh, which I, I kind of have, I'm not a motorcycle rider, but I love, I love what they're doing with that. I'm watching a company out of North Carolina, actually uh, harkens from Europe called Arrival that's working on electric transit buses for, uh, you know, uh, urban transit solutions for bus systems and that sort of thing. It's pretty neat what they're doing there. So there's a number of different ones that I'm, that I'm watching. Uh, it seems like almost every time I turn around and hear another story of some, you know, neat new uh, application of this technology. But we were working, consulting with a company recently that, uh, manages um, transponders that are typically at toll stations. And these transponders have a completely different technological bandwidth than is uh, other than just reading a smart pass to be able to assess a toll. They have an ability to assess, uh, if allowed, a lot of telemetrics data on the health of the vehicle. Um, what's the service interval? Are there any uh, imminent failures for uh, you know parts that might be occurring? And they can coordinate vehicle diagnostics with service stations to be able to provide uh, timely intervention to uh, help uh, a traveler uh, avoid a situation where their you know their car is out of service for whatever reason. And so I thought you know even just that the idea of the smart connected ecosystem for servicing vehicles would be such a, an amazing thing for consumers to have access to. So. There's lots of them, John. <laughs> so we've been talking internally. You know, I mentioned Tesla earlier. I'm not going to harp on them. We talk about electronic vehicles a lot. You mentioned Arrival. Um, you know, our oh, one of our clients, uh, Freightliner, has got an e uh, an electric truck now. And, and so, so that transformation in vehicles. I mean, GM did their all-in Super Bowl campaign. Um, you know, the state of California said by 2035, every new car is not going to be a combustion engine. Do you feel like this transfer transformation is happening? I, I, I feel like I've known it was coming and all of a sudden, a sudden a switch flipped and it's happening and, it, and, it, and it's rolling straight downhill like a big boulder. Yeah, no, the, 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 the momentum is definitely gathering. 
You know, President uh, Biden uh, in his administration came into office and one of the platforms that they campaigned on was the idea that by 2030, all school buses in America would be uh, electric. School buses are a perfect use case example. They leave a, a depot in the morning, run a fixed route, return uh, in the middle of the day, then repeat that route in the afternoon. There's ample time to charge them before they leave in the middle of the day and after. And there's a great need for many cities now that are adopting sustainability initiatives to be able to reduce our carbon footprint. And uh, school buses offer a tremendous opportunity. And not only that, John, right now, so just last week, I spent a day with one of our clients, Thomas Built Buses, one of the nation's leading manufacturers school buses. And uh, we were talking about the, the impact that school buses could have uh, as mobile storage units for power generation during off-peak times or during peak times. So imagine the bus charges during the day and then uh, during peak periods, a, uh, a bus fleet could be hooked up to the grid and could, and could flow power back into the grid to meet peak demand uh, cycles. Or frankly, they could hook up to a building. So you could either, you could have vehicle to grid charging or vehicle to building charging. There's a, there's a there's fascinating ways with electric to be able to uh, capture and release stored energy when it's commercially viable to do so. And we're even seeing that happen, you know, at scale right now and even residential applications. So, yeah, the, the pace of change is absolutely quickening and it's going to be disruptive, John, you know, because right now electric vehicles, whether it's a car, a bus, what have you, uh, you know, when you're not running an internal combustion engine, there are fewer parts, there are fewer consumables, you know, we're running electric motors, not electric engines. Uh, and the motors are placed differently on a chassis in an electric vehicle than they are in an internal combustion uh, uh, powered uh, vehicle. And so there's the consumption of parts, the consumption of service, and the service intervals are all going to change. So it's it's super exciting. It's also going to be pretty disruptive to the industry. And a lot of industries right now are trying to figure this out. A lot of it though is being driven by policy. So you mentioned California as an example. Yeah. There are a few states that are really making bold uh, decisions to really uh, accelerate the adoption of electric. And, uh, I, and I think that kind of policy you know, uh, initiative from government is, is well-placed to drive private industry to to move boldly into these changes. It's not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of capital tied up in this stuff, John. It is, it's a big money game when you're trying to bring new technologies to market. And so to have, to know that there's a market there and government yep. is create, helping to create this market will give manufacturers the confidence to believe that, you know, if we build it, they will come. Right. And I think that's why it's not just, the st you know, for a while we heard a lot about the startups with, with the cars, for instance. And it's like Ford and GM are like, hey, I mean, not that they weren't in it already, but they, they seem to have stepped up their game more a little bit. So, yeah, they have. And, you know, right now, electric is kind of it's honestly, it's got a cool factor with it. You know, just the instant uh, power and torque and acceleration that's available, let alone, you know, the, you know, uh, the noise, uh, less noise and things. There's kind of a cool factor with electric right now. And um, that's not to be denied, but eventually the market will mature and they'll become more commonplace. Mm -hmm. 
And Tesla right now is a great example of somebody who has a first mover advantage. While they didn't necessarily pioneer the market, they were first to be successful at scale on a commercial basis. And they've captured so many people's imagination. They've done a phenomenal job of creating a market. But a lot of other manufacturers are equally investing heavily in their own line of uh, electric products. So I think there's going to be a huge range of new choices coming into the market, commercial and consumer, that's going to rapidly expand uh, availability and options, you know, in the in the very near future. All right, a last question for you. So uh, we're going to be using upcoming episodes, like I said at the top, to to talk to experts in the transportation industry, uh, uh, you know, of, of all stripes and, and you know, industries and, th- you know, sub industries, let's say, and things like that. What kind of things should I be asking them about that, that could inform the audience that's listening to this that's, that's got a, an interest in transportation and specifically transportation marketing? So, um, I'm, you know, John, it's an it's a interesting question. And the thought that comes to mind for me is what are the what are the barriers to trust that they're faced with in facilitating consumer adoption? Because in the end, John, I yes, it's a technology problem that has to get solved, but the technology will find a way to solve the problem. There's another issue, which is which is adoption and change. <clears throat> and I, you know, I'm always curious in these emerging markets how entrepreneurs make a determination about what level of trust they need to be afforded for a market to adopt their solution. Is it a low barrier, medium barrier, high barrier? How do we come around to those? I mean, John, there are all kinds of unanswered questions right now. Cost, uh, manufacturing efficiencies, end of life, uh, disposal of some of these new technologies. How's that going to be handled? Um, what about incremental and generational change? So if, I, if I've invested half, uh, heavily into first-gen uh, you know, solutions, um, but I know the category is rapidly evolving. What's my financial path to security so that I, I don't move too fast and take on too much exposure? Um, so I think trust to me is one of the big things, like how, how are different brands approaching the trust factor? And then maybe if I had a second one, it would be um, how, what are the inputs to their, uh, in their financial modeling? that gives them the confidence to believe that the ROI is sustainable and can attract new capital. The solution has to be um, compelling enough to attract investment, and it has to be priced effectively to attract a market. And so I'm always interested in, in the inputs that entrepreneurs use when modeling kind of the financial uh, uh, calculus for making sure their solution is sustainable over time. So those are two quick things that come to mind. 
Oh, those are good ones. I'll definitely keep them in mind for the next one. All right, you know what? And I could do this all day. Uh, this is a great conversation. I think it's really interesting, but I'm going to let you go. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure we're going to be doing this again. I would love to be back, John. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be with you. And I appreciate the chance to share a, a couple of thoughts with you today. All right. Thank you, um, everybody. That's going to be it for this episode. Like I said, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're getting your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else it might be. Uh, that'll help us get the word out. And we would really appreciate it. To learn more about HMH, the Transportation Transformation Agency, visit us at hmhagency.com or at all your usual social media outlets. For Ed Herrings, I'm John Halpin. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Future of Transportation podcast.